Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Hawks Live. I'm Michael Bumpus. That is Paul Moyer. Behind the scenes is Nasha Chobie getting it done. And right now we get to talk to John Machota from The Athletic. John, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? You know, we, we can't we are, complain. We're good now. We're hanging in there, <laughs> having a good time. Let's, let's jump right into it. What are your initial thoughts of these Cowboys? I mean, they almost lose a game to a team they probably should have beat. Um, comes down to a watermelon onside kick that Atlanta decided to watch spin. Jerry Jones is in the booth losing his mind. Then he's crazy. All these emotions happen within five minutes of real time. What are your thoughts on this football team? <laughs> I still need to see a lot more. Uh, uh, just from these first two weeks, it's uh, you look at it, there's a lot of similarities to previous Cowboys teams, which, hey, we should kind of expect without having – the normal off season without having any preseason games. So there's definitely some growing pains and some uh, adjusting going on here. I'd say my biggest takeaway so far is that, you know, this team is going to be kind of what we thought it was. It was going to be very strong offensively. The offense is going to have to carry this team. They'll go as far as that offense can carry them defensively. Uh, it just hasn't been very good. You know, the one spot I thought would be good is at least up front with Alden Smith coming back and he looked really good in training camp and he, he's played pretty well. And Everson Griffin and Demarcus Florence together, you're like, that's going to be a pretty good pass rush. And it just it hasn't been there. They got two sacks in two games. I mean, it just, it's been a huge disappointment there. And so uh, they, they need to do some adjusting on that defensive side of the ball. But offensively, you know, I think they found something in that second half against Atlanta. And so because of that, it makes me think that we could be looking at a pretty high-scoring game here coming up Sunday. Yeah, they're, they're awfully talented. And I, I wanted to ask you before we jump in some of the players – what was it like to see a hundred thousand seat stadium with twenty thousand? Or what was the number? Were they, did they allow twenty thousand in? And, and what was the noise like? So yeah, it ended up being twenty one thousand, a little over twenty one thousand. And uh, so um, they have the Texas high school uh, state championship games uh, in that stadium. And so I've been there for some of those. And so that was what it was like. Was like the earlier games because even some of the like the later the big school state championship games they they get pretty full in that lower bowl. But I, it, it reminded me of some of the middle of the day like some of the smaller school state championship games that they have there. It had like a high school feel to it, and it was kind of a late arriving crowd, which the Cowboys usually have for those well their noon games here. Um, but by the time at the end of that game how much everybody was invested in it because it was everyone knew there, every Cowboys fan in the building was like, I can't believe we might steal this game. And so they were cheering like it was almost a Super Bowl. So I will say after Zerline's kick went, well, after from the moment they recovered that onside kick until Zerline's kick went through as a game winning field goal. And even a couple minutes after the game, it sounded like that stadium was, I wouldn't say completely full, but it sounded a lot more than 21,000. I'd say at least half full. So it was, it added something to it for sure because I didn't, I didn't get to go out to LA for the season opener, but I, I did hear some video from on, on the actual field level and just how quiet it was in there. It sounded like it was even, it was even more quiet than practices are. And so, uh, it, it definitely brought something. There's no question that they fed off the fans, even though there was only 21,000 in the stadium that holds 100,000. Well, the Cowboys picked a good time to play the Seahawks here because there there will be no fans, and we were here last week, and it 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 was weird. I mean, I, I've not I haven't missed a home game in thirty seven years of player coach and broadcasting, and 
um, it, it was it was hard to get used to me. It was really quiet. So be interesting to see how, how the Cowboys handle that. But you know, we'll talk about a couple players. I mean, they're loaded. We, we knew Amari Cooper and, you know, obviously Ezekiel Elliott, Prescott. Uh, my, my son, one of his good friend, friends, uh, unfortunately, Blake Jarwin, blew his knee out. There was another talented person um, that won't be there. But how, how good is this C.D. Lamb? I mean, we've only seen two games of him, but uh, that's three really good receivers. Yeah, I'll tell you, the thing about Lamb is, you know, from what we got to see in training camp, the only reason you would even have known he was a rookie is because the Cowboys do this thing where the rookies aren't, they don't have stars on their helmet. They don't get those until the season starts. And so he had basically a blank helmet, you know, it says Lamb on the front. But other than that, I mean, he he looked like he was ready for whatever they threw at him from day one. I mean, he was working with the first group from the very first practice. He was out there returning punts right from the beginning. You knew that they were going to use him in a variety of ways. And, he was, and, and really, we saw that. I mean, it was the same thing with Ezekiel and even really Dak Prescott, their rookie years. So you kind of had a feeling that, hey, if this guy can step in and, and at least understand the offense, he, he fits in perfectly to that slot role that was filled by Randall Cobb last year, who then ended up signing with Houston. And so he can do all the slot work, but then he can also go on the outside. I mean, I mean, he just really doesn't have a lot of weaknesses in his game. He's the guy that takes the jet sweeps for them when they when they try and you know do some more tricky things. That, there's not a lot of that, but when they do, he's usually the go-to guy on that, and that that's to be expected with his ability to break tackles. And that's the thing; like he, he's a solid blocker. He's a good route runner. Um, he can catch the underneath stuff. He can make guys miss, and then he's he's big enough that he can go up and he can make contested catches. So uh, I, I will say this: my biggest takeaway is that. Multiple times over the last couple of weeks, I, I just find myself, you know, asking other writers, how did this guy fall to 17? It makes it makes no sense. But, you know, the Cowboys needed help on defense, but they couldn't pass up on him. All right, John, here's the bigger question on C.D. Lamb. Sounds good. Rookies making plays. Did he call Michael Irvin like Des did and ask if he could wear the number 88? You know, that's a really good question. And, and, and he did. He, ca- he called Michael Irvin to talk about it. Um, but C.D. Lamb's hand was forced on that. You know, C.D. wanted to wear number 10. And uh, and then Jerry stepped in, Jerry Jones stepped in, and he wanted C.D. to wear 88. Now, he says it's because of his old college teammate when Jerry Jones played at Arkansas, uh, Jerry Lamb, who wore 88 there and uh, was a good friend of Jerry Jones's, and, and he passed away recently. But I also think there's something about it with just the way Jerry Jones is and, and being the showman that he is that, he likes it when that top receiver is wearing this, this number that is, is an iconic wide receiver number in the NFL, and certainly it's an iconic number for the Dallas Cowboys. And so I don't know that CD necessarily like pushed for 88. I think it was more, hey, you know, we really want you to wear this, and, and he's not going to argue with Jerry Jones over it. He's happy to be with the Cowboys, so he's like, yeah, I'll do it. But, you know, that's the thing. Like A lot of these younger receivers, especially when you see in college, they like the lower numbers. Like They like yeah. the numbers and like the teens, and then especially the single-digit stuff. So, like, he doesn't seem – well, at least he didn't seem like an 88 to me, but then since he's been wearing it, you kind of get used to it. But, uh, yeah, no, that that was, a, that was a Jerry Jones call there. They're loaded with big names on offense and even on, on defense. You mentioned Alden Smith. But what are some of the other names out there the Seahawks fans may not have heard of but uh, should be looking out for this week? Well, definitely on defense, it, it, it's the rookie corner, Trayvon Diggs. And, and his shoulder's a little bit banged up to the point where he didn't practice yesterday, but he was out there today, and he was a full full participant, so I think they were just giving him a little time off. But, I mean, he's basically been their defense's version of CeeDee Lamb. He got thrown right out there right right from the beginning pretty much. 
and uh, and and he's and he looks like their best chance as a playmaking corner just because he's a long guy and, and, and he's in practice we've seen him get his hands on a lot of balls and get interceptions. He hasn't been able to get one yet in a game, uh, but he's the guy. He's their big big corner that really is kind of stepping into that Byron Jones role. Who you know Byron Jones signed that huge contract with the Dolphins, and so. Trayvon Diggs is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, he, he's, I think he's going to be a really special player on, on the back end. Um, Jalen Smith is their top linebacker right now with Leighton Vanderesh being out, and, and, and he's kind of their playmaker in, in, in the middle of the field. The thing is with Jalen Smith is that he's really good running downhill. So, I mean, I see them bringing him on some blitzes and things like that to kind of get in Russell's face. Um, but the moving side to side and being targeted in the passing game, there have been teams that have had success against him, uh, whether it be with running backs or tight ends in, in, in open space. And so, you know, that's, uh, that's somewhere I fully expect the Seahawks to try and exploit because uh, there's been plenty of tape put out of that. But when he's coming downhill and he's blitzing, uh, you know, as a blitzing linebacker, he can, be, he can be very good. And the other thing to keep an eye on, too, is that they had moved to a 3-4 scheme with Mike Nolan, their new defensive coordinator, and they'd been in a 4-3 forever with Rod Marinelli. And it, that 3-4 really hadn't been a good fit for Everson Griffin and Demarcus Lawrence, who are used to rushing with their hand on the ground. So I would look for them to be rushing more like 4-3 edge, edge rushers uh, in this game. John, you hit us with a lot of knowledge today. We appreciate that. that. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to holler at us, man. Have a good one. All right, you too, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was John. Up next, we get to talk to Seahawk linebacker Cody Barton right here on Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer, Seahawks Live. Hawks Live, sorry. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer. You're listening to Hawks Live from CenturyLink Field every Thursday right here at 710 at 7 o'clock. Right now, we get to talk to Cody Barton. How you doing, Cody? Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining yeah, us. Thank you. I say your name, Cody, and I just want to say CB. Does anyone ever call you CB like growing up, some of your boys, anybody? Yeah, no, people call me CB. Boom. I say, I, I told him, don't ask that. What if he says no? <laughs> I go, your, your, your question's <laughs> over, man. I get, it goes right to me. Hey, I, I rolled the dice. <laughs> CB, let's get it, baby. Paul, what you got? Yeah, you, you right there. Hey, hey Cody, before I, I get into a couple things, last week we had on uh, KJ Wright. Uh, he was nice enough to join us, and, and Bump asked him a question. Who was the most impressive guy in camp, or who's the most impressed with, is particularly on the young guys? I want you to hear what he had to say about that. I believe out of all the linebackers that Cody had the best camp, you know, out, out of everybody. He's just somebody that's real instinctive, um, got some picks out there. Just He's going to have a really good career. That's uh, that's high praise for one of the classiest, smartest, you know, one of the best linebackers in Seahawks history. Just your thoughts on uh, what he had to say there. I mean, it, you know, coming from from a guy like Cage, you know, it obviously it makes you feel real good, you know, to be looked down like that on – you know, KJ is someone I look up to, and, you know, like you said, you know, he's a super smart player, um, you know, a long-time player. Just, you know, he does he does everything right, just real good ball player, just makes plays. And so to hear him say that about me, you know, it makes me feel good inside. So let's talk about this week. I mean, uh, you know, had some injuries, obviously, with Irvin. Um, I'm assuming they're, they're playing you at both outside spots right now. Is that, is that correct? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that a boy, CB. Oh, that's a good one. Well, again, with that kind of high praise, I, I expect you're going to be on the field this week. That's for sure. 
Hey, Cody, you I mean, had – Yeah, we'll, we'll – go ahead. Go for, go for, Cody, you had a play that um, I call it a ooh play. You know, when someone makes a play and I look at my buddy, I go, ooh, he just made a play. <laughs> you, you ran down on kickoff, and you really set the tone against the New England Patriots. I always – I've never been – I'm not a big dude. I'm 5'11", 190, so I never really ran through a person playing football. And I would imagine it feels like when you hit the sweet spot on a fastball and the ball just pops off your bat and you don't even, even feel it. What is it like when you make a huge play like that at CenturyLink? I mean, obviously it feels good, but it, it happens fast. You know what I mean? Like, even on that kickoff, it just happens fast. You run, you're running down full speed all of a sudden. Next thing you know, you're up celebrating just because it happens that fast, you know? And so we're all running down there towards the ball to make the play. And I just happened to come free. And so, and no one touched me, so I was just coming free full speed. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. That, you know, that was, that's a big hit. And it's, it's different, too, because you know, most guys, you know, I didn't play any special teams in college. I did in the NFL until I finally got a start. But it's different run down and kickoffs and punts and all that stuff for you. They call that flexing. They could, flex. That was my mini flex. That was his low-key flex, but, but But how is that adjustment? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, you got to throw those out there. How, but how is that adjustment for you? Because, look, everybody wants to start and be on the field. But, you know, special teams are a big part of the, of the game. Hey, well, you know what's funny is I was I'm actually used to it because all through college, I didn't really start until my senior year in college. And so my first three years in, in college, even, it was all special teams. And so, um, and I like special teams too. You know, it's, it's a chance to make a big play. And so, I mean, and I take pride in special teams as well. You know, it's, it's another chance to be on the field and play football. You know what I mean? And so I, I enjoy special teams. And, and the thing that I did notice that was different here is, you know, in college, some guys might not go as hard on special teams, and that's that's a break for them. Versus in the NFL, that's some guys make a living just on special teams, and so everyone's out there going as hard as they can. Versus in the collegiate level, and so that actually makes it more intense. And and like I said, just everything's just so fast. You know, one of the cool things uh, about CenturyLink and the Twelves is the relationship with the special team guys. You know, when they run down on a kickoff, man, last week no fans. Yeah. Just give your thoughts on how weird that was, or just what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a weird adjustment at first. It kind of just feels like, like in training camp or scrimmage there at CenturyLink. You know, it's, it's kind of like that. You know, with no fans. But I actually, kind of, in my opinion, I, I kind of like not having fans in certain aspects. I mean, the fans are great. I love having fans over everything. Like especially in CenturyLink, the twelves are are the best. But it's it's a different environment where you can hear all the talking going on and all the smack talk and all the, all the adjustments and audibles and all the hits, you can hear every little thing, you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of cool to hear that stuff, but at the same time, you know, there's no, there's nothing like central Lincoln's rock and full fans. Yeah. No, nothing like that. Now you're, you're in your second year and players make a jump. They start to understand things a little better. What has been the biggest change? I guess you've seen in the play or yourself here, your second year in the NFL. Yeah, I just feel mentally the game has really slowed down for me. You know, that first year as a rookie going in, you know, everything, everything's just happening so fast. Picking up a new playbook at the next level, everything just seems so fast. But coming into my second year, I feel like just everything about the game has just slowed down. And so that, just, that in itself just gives me more confidence and, and lets me be able to just go out there and make plays. We heard that uh, Bobby Wagner and K.J., get to the facility like at 5.30 in the morning. I don't know if that's true or not, but it 
I wouldn't doubt it. Tell me what your day's like. You know, you don't have to go through Monday through Friday, but just what's the normal day? When do you first get there? When do you go home and maybe fill in a few blanks along the way? Yes, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm there between 6 and 7 a.m. every morning during during game prep, and then I, I leave the facility about 6 at night. So I'm only there about 12 hours, but <laughs> I know KJ, KJ and Bobby do get there early. They probably get there around – on a normal day, they're probably there, like, at 6. Uh, sometimes earlier, like, on Wednesdays, we go in early. But, I mean, we're there for a good 12 hours, sometimes more. And, and it's just, the minute we get there, it's just straight football the whole day. You know what's crazy about that is, again, that, that, this isn't a mini flag. Just go back in time in my days. Yeah, we were there. We, <laughs> we would actually do special team meetings. And we would go walk on the field. Um, then we do, you know, our position and as a team. Then we we would go do some walkthroughs on the field. Then you do practice for back then. It was like two and a half hours. Come back, watch film. You, you guys aren't allowed on the field that much anymore. I mean, you can't. Are you guys allowed to do walkthroughs, or does that count as part of your time on the field? No, we're we're allowed to do walkthroughs. Okay, but it, it has to be at a, at a different tempo, obviously. But I mean, yeah, we do our meetings, our walkthroughs, our lifts obviously practice and meetings after and stuff. And so, I mean, it's probably similar to yours. I mean, obviously there's, there's been some rule change and there's limited times of, of things you can do. And, and especially with COVID too, you know what I mean? Like lifting and stuff, they're going to be X amount of people in a certain area and stuff like that. And so, I mean, so I'm kind of going on a tangent here with the COVID stuff, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's different. <laughs> Hey, Cody, so your, your first week you saw an offense who you thought was going to throw the ball a lot, that's what they, they did. Your second week you saw an uh, offense that you thought was going to run the ball a lot, end up throwing the rock a bit. What challenges are you seeing presented by the Dallas Cowboys? Um, I mean, they're, they're a good team, you know. they got a good quarterback, good running back, good receivers, solid line. So, I mean, they got a lot of weapons. You know, they, they like to run the rock with uh, with Zeke, and then they have – the compliment, the compliment throw game off of that with their receivers. And so, I mean, I would expect more throws, but at the same time, I mean, because we've been good at stopping the run these past two weeks. And so I really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that's, that's the fun part with, you know, preparing for a game. And, and that's kind of the game within the game when you're preparing and, and, and seeing, you know, what do you think a team's going to do and how, how, how can they try you here? How are they going to test your run defense or how are they going to test this? Or, you know what I mean? Just, I mean, that's what the game's in the game. I really don't know, but you know they're going to try to run the ball. I mean, shoot, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and that, Cody, actually, you're right. You don't know. This is a weird year. I, I was pulling up some, uh, some stats, and there are f- 10 teams in the NFL averaging over 400 yards a game. Not nine defenses given up over 400 yards. I mean, the, the game, it, it's obviously it's evolved, it's changed, but you're right, you don't know. I mean, New England last week, you thought for sure they're going to run. I mean, the Seahawks have been a running team. Uh, you know, we throw it, we're, we're balanced. So um, every every week's different. But I'm going to ask you one one personal question again. You guys get one day off a week, it's Tuesday. What, what do you do on Monday night to, to have some fun? With COVID and stuff, nothing. <laughs> that a boy. There you go. He tried to I set mean, you up. <laughs> yeah, hey, he was trying to get me right there. <laughs> no, no. no I just, Friends come over. Monday I mean... night is my not, is, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Monday night is my, my one night where cause we'll be done with meetings, and then I'll have about you know two or three hours to relax on Monday night. That's where I just take the time to just really relax. That's maybe, that's maybe those, those two or three hours where 
I'm not really doing football even either. You know what I mean? I'm just hanging out, watching the show, relaxing. Because then even even on Tuesday on our on our, our off day, it's it's back to ball even though it's our off day. You know what I mean? So that's that's maybe the two or three hours out of the week that I really just had to relax and just unplug my mind. Takes it easy on a Monday. We appreciate you hollering at us on a Thursday. Yeah, that Monday he's taking easies more than you do in a week. Hey, yes, <laughs> by far, <Exactly. laughs> by far. Hey, Cody, appreciate you taking time, man. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, Cody. All right, we got you covered with all things Seahawks in the NFL. As a professor, John Clayton joins us next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer. This is Hawks Live every Thursday at 7 right here on 710 ESPN. And we got some funk playing, so you know what's coming up next. We got John Clay. John, how you doing? I'm doing great now. They got the music going. <laughs> what are we going to do tomorrow? I was hoping that Dave Wyman was going to be there. So what are we going to do with Jim Moore watching Garner Minshew getting absolutely blown out, having a bad game against Ryan Fitzpatrick? Hang on. I'm going to call Dave, and I'm going to go home and have him take over. No, you don't. I want you to hear. Okay. It's, like, it's just checking. No, I, 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 no but again, it's like we, we, we talked about this because you know what he is as far as a Garner Minshew fan. And I think everybody in this area is, but I mean, he's been off in his throwing. He's down like three touchdowns, and it has been ugly. Yeah, it's been ugly, but I'm a coog, and hey, we make ugly things pretty at times, John. So hopefully he turns it around. I'm hoping he does, John. I'm hoping he does. (laughs) John, after two weeks of NFL play, this NFC West is looking tough, isn't it? It it really is. I mean, you can arguably say it's the best division in a two-week start that we've almost ever seen. I mean, there's only been two times since they went to eight uh, divisions uh, back in, what, 1969, that you've had seven and one starts by the four teams in the division, three teams being six and oh. And that was back in 2002, and that was in the AFC West. And I think the Raiders were one and one, and they ended up going to the Super Bowl. And so now what you're looking at is you've got three teams, San Francisco being one and one, but three teams being two and oh. And you look at the three teams. I mean, I, Arizona, we knew it was going to be probably one of the most improved teams in football, and they are. But I'm still stunned by the Rams because they're they're a little bit better on offense. Not a little, but you know, not great. But you know, they got the three running back uh, rotation, and uh, Jared Goff has four touchdown passes in two games. But I'm stunned by how well they're doing on defense because I mean, if you take Aaron Donald and uh, Michael Brockers, and then uh, Jalen Ramsey. Name me the other eight starters who's not named Victor Rapp. We don't know who the other seven starters are, but they're doing well. Well, if you don't know, you know I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows. Uh, John, I was looking at some statistics today, and uh, I just mentioned we had uh, Cody Barton on earlier, and there are 10 offenses right now averaging over 400 yards a game. Is it just... Offense have gotten better, which, my goodness, that's a huge jump in one year. Is it just defense having to be able to practice? Is it rule? What, what is going on here? 
we thought what was going to happen was that defenses were going to have the edge on the offenses because it's hard to put together an offensive line scheme that's going to click in the first couple weeks. We thought it was going to be hard to get a passing offense together in the first couple weeks. And we were wrong because what ended up happening is that now you have 11 quarterbacks that have a hundred and hundred plus quarterback rating, you know, that including Russell Wilson, you know, that the quarterbacks are doing great. You have more running than you've had in maybe in the last five, six years. That's doing well. Offensive lines, other than the ones that have had too many changes where they've had maybe four changes on the offensive line, they're doing well. So the offenses are so much further ahead than the defenses. And if you have a quarterback who's good and of course, you've got 11 quarterbacks right now with a 100-plus quarterback rating, you have a big edge. And so, you know, it's like anything else. We can't predict what it was going to be like when you have such a new thing where you didn't have off-season programs and preseason. But again, what you're seeing is offenses at a high level. I mean, at this stage right now, offenses are averaging, you know, 25.15 points a game. That's the best ever in the first two weeks of an NFL season, 1,611 yards on points. John, there have been a lot of injuries this uh, first couple of weeks. Teams 0-2, teams 1-1. Which team should be panicking the most? I have an idea who it is. I want to see what you think. San Francisco, although they're not going to panic this week. They're playing a bad Giants team that lost Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard, you know, two key offensive guys on their team. But uh, they're in deep, deep trouble right now in San Francisco because they lose Nick Boza, Solomon Thomas. You know, they lose two running backs, Raheem uh, Mozart, and they lose Tevin Coleman with a knee injury. They're already down. Richard Sherman, you know, they're down. They've had seven wide receivers either on opt-outs or injured reserve. They can be in big trouble once they get past the Giants game. And believe me, the number two team would be the team the Seahawks play on Sunday, the Dallas Cowboys, because they're starting two cornerbacks are out, two linebackers are out, Sean Lee and uh, Leighton Vander Esch. You know, they uh, have an injured uh, Demarcus Lawrence at defensive end. Their two tackles are injured. Uh, you got uh, Collins on injured reserve. And right now they don't know if Tyron Smith's going to be able to play. So you throw all those together, San Francisco and Dallas right now in very bad shape. And this is a Dallas team, believe it or not, that uh, you, you talk about their ability to rush the passer. They're worse than Seattle because they only have two sacks six pressures a game and where Seattle has three sacks and eight pressures a game. And they've got a situation where they're turning things around and going to a hybrid three, four, four, three defense. And it's not working. They can't get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. This will be an interesting week. You know, certainly for the Seahawks, look, Atlanta doesn't give up sacks. The Patriots don't give up sacks. You know, Dallas is a tough one too. Just their, their O line. But yeah, I want, I want to ask some 1983. I had a broken rib. And I I got a shot, and it was a long needle. I mean, we're talking long. Now, if I had known they could puncture my lung doing that, I, I may not have had it. And by the way, I didn't get one the second half because the shot hurt more than the rib. Mm-hmm. But you know, just one. What's the fallout from that? And and, and with Tyrod Taylor, who's the one who ended up having to go to the hospital, what's the fallout from it? And, and two, does does he get his job back? No. 
I think right now, if Justin Houston plays as well as he did in taking Patrick Mahomes into overtime and actually having a double-digit lead against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, I think it's going to be hard for Tyrod Taylor to be able to get his starting job back. But, I mean, it was a weird situation because he hurt his ribs in the middle of the week, last week in practice. And so, you know, he he felt they want, put him on the injury list on Friday, but he felt good enough that it's like, okay, let me get a shot on Sunday and see where it goes. So 90 minutes before the game, he gets the shot. What he didn't realize, it punctured his lung. And so now 60 seconds before the start of the game, he can't breathe. And they say, okay, uh, Justin Houston, you go in there and start. And so now what you're looking at, I don't know how long he's going to be out, but with a punctured lung, it's got to be an extended period of time. But it's like these things happen and, of course, you know being in that locker room, and, again, these are things I can't see but you've seen. This happens more than we can expect, that something like that can happen. Uh, but, again, it's so strange, and it's so bad for Tyrod Taylor. You know, you got Anthony Lynn, the head coach, really likes him a lot and yeah. wants him to be the starting quarterback, but he can't put him out there until he's 100%, and it's going to be a while before he's 100%. I, li- I like Tyrod Taylor, too. I think he's one of those guys who just got to find – someone's just got to stick with them. Because he's yeah. got an arm, he got all the ability to be be a great one. But yeah, that, when you do that rib thing, and you know, it is hard to breathe. But go ahead. Sorry about that, uh, John. We got a bunch of teams that own to Lions, Giants, Texans, Panthers, Bengals, Jets, Vikings, Eagles, Dolphins, Falcons, Broncos. Is there any coach who should be concerned about their job at this point? Yeah, two: Matt Patricia and Adam Gaze. Patricia, from the standpoint, can you believe a team? with a defensive head coach that has blown four double-digit leads in his last four games dating back to last year. And when he's had double-digit leads when he's a head coach, he's 2-7-1. and one. And he's a defensive coach. And a defensive coach that the players on defense don't like. So that's got to be bad. And then you got Adam Gaze, who right now looks totally clueless with the New York Jets. He's an offensive coach. They've got the worst offense in football. He was there to try to develop uh, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, because of the wide receiver problems that they have, because of the play calling that they have. Remember, you, the, he doesn't like paying running backs. They gave him Le'Veon Bell at $14.1 million, and Le'Veon Bell averaged Four, uh, what 3.2 yards a carry, worst in Jets history. And now you look at this team, they have nothing left at wide receiver. I mean, he's at a stage right now where they have so many injuries on the team. He's just looking forward to somebody who has a chance to have a pulse to be able to play. This thing is an absolute disaster. Those two coaches, along with Dan Quinn, although I don't think they'll fire Dan Quinn, but I'd say Patricia and Adam Gaze are right now in the most vulnerable spots. John, I got one more for you real quick. I was under the impression, or I thought that coming into this season, that if Carson Wentz didn't perform at a high level, Jalen Hurts would get an opportunity to play, and he would take over that starting spot. What do you see as the quarterback situation in Philly? I, I They'll stay with Carson Wentz. They're paying him, what, $32 million a year, maybe not the 34 that went to Jared Goff, but they'll still stand by him. You know, you go back to last year, they had nothing at wide receiver, and he still got them into the playoffs. But clearly, I think with the offensive line problems, and remember, they now have their starting four of their five offensive linemen injured, including Andre Dillard. You know, they had to put a guard down this week. So I'll tell you what, what we're going to do, we're going to take a break here and continue along. We're going to be with the huddle. It's uh, 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here's your host, Paul Moyer and Michael Bumpus. Michael Bumpus, Paul Moore, Nasa Chobie. This is Hawks Live every Thursday right here on 710 ESPN at 7 o'clock from CenturyLink. Now we're going to talk about what we saw and what we need to see. I'll tell you something we saw, Paul Moore. What did you see? We saw a defense that when they needed to make a play, when it mattered the most, Bobby Wagner puts the D-line on a slant. He fills the gap, forces the guard to come block him. Lano Hill controls the edge, forces everything inside, and LJ gets low, wins the leverage battle, and tackles Cam in the backfield. That's what I saw. Yeah, all three actually um, did good things. What was interesting is, you know, the Patriots had actually ran three plays like that. Um, yeah. I think it was either their second or third where they actually motioned the wing over and then also shifted the back over. Mm-hmm. Cam kind of pointed, so Bobby at that point. Again, Bobby's not calling the play. He gets a play, and but he has the option has the on option. how he's going to slant, yeah. depending on the formation, right? And so he goes, hey, we're slanting right. You'll rip whatever righty, whatever you, rip you Rosie. want. Rip whatever. <laughs> it starts with an R, and anything after counts, but – uh, which was a great call, a veteran, veteran call. But he also had the wherewithal to see the guard pull and realize he could run underneath. He could run through that gap and yep. catch Cam. It stopped the guard pulling that he had to come back and block Bobby. Um, I'm going to go with LJ uh, Collier. Great job there. Not only did he slant, he was being held like you know what. Yes, I mean, sir. hard. I, mm-hmm. The Patriots had two penalties. Their first drive for five yards, their last drive for five yards. Nothing in between. They were holding our guys like, not to complain, <laughs> we won the game, we're going to let that go. But he got held hard, he fought through it, he ripped through it, and, and he fought hard to, to get upfield. And then Leno Hill, not only did he take on the, the guy who was blocking him, I think it was the, the fullback, um, he worked his way, not just upfield, but he worked his way in, yeah. and, and he actually hit Cam Newton. I mean, it wasn't that he just forced it in, he actually, I think, initiated contact, him, him and L.J. Collier. So it was it was a great play, a veteran play. And that's why I just think it's we, we make plays. Are they proud of the fourth quarter, giving up 450 yards, 14 first downs, nah. or 250 yards, uh, 14 first downs? No. I mean, you've got a big lead. We gave up a big play. I think Jamal Adams got beat by Edelman right after we'd taken a double-digit lead. Uh but I keep coming back. It's my second week in a row where I'm going to say this. I'm more encouraged now than ever because we're going to play so much better. We have playmakers. We have Dunbar. We have Jamal Adams. The big one that I think hurt us more than anything, Diggs getting kicked out of the game. Yeah. I, look, that was a big factor in the game. So I, I think we're going to continue to play better, and we're 2-0 and and feeling pretty good about 2-0, it. 2-0, and feeling good. I don't care how many yards they give up. It doesn't matter. 2-0, and right? That's all that 2-0. matters. 2-0. Talk to me about this offense, though. Are, I mean, are you are you kind of surprised? I mean, it's it's a jump from last year. Yeah, I, I am surprised. I didn't think that – I thought we would gradually see and feel like Russell Wilson is kind of driving this thing. I didn't think it would be two weeks in a row to where, yeah, Russell was definitely driving this. But then I also look at – 
the adjustments that Shoddy has made. He's up in he's up in the booth. That changes yeah. the game. That tells me two things. One, he's up in the booth. He trusts Russell Wilson. He goes, look, I can communicate with him from here. We can communicate effectively. We can execute. I'm good here. But then I also think that him being up there just allows him to see the game differently. I mean, we've we've called plays. We've been on the field. We've been up in the booth. And I was a head coach at Monroe High School for five years. My last year, I was offensive coordinator for all five. But my last year, I wanted to go in the booth so bad because I'm calling plays and I'm relying on people to relay stuff to me, which I trust those guys. But there's nothing like seeing it yourself and believing it yourself. So I think Shadi making that adjustment has taken this offense to the next level along with Russell doing what he's been doing. Yeah, because I'm not sure that it's a, a scheme change. It, 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 it's a slight philosophy change in that, hey, if the pass is working, we're going to keep going with it. There's no reason to run it. And yeah. Again, I, I think this offense right now is the most dangerous it's ever been because if you can't stop the run, we'll run it 10 times in a row. And if you can't stop the pass, we'll throw it 10 times in a row. And if you're not sure, we'll run it. We'll throw it a little bit like last week. It was a very balanced, balanced offense. I, the thing I, I think has been interesting is I think it's – I don't know if it's the relationship between Shoddy and Russell. It's the um, – and again, a play's a play. You, it, it doesn't matter what play you call, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes the timing of it, mm-hmm. but there's something about the flow of it. So you, you mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, you're an offensive guy. You know, sometimes there's just a, a feel of flow with you and your quarterback. And you had a great quarterback your last year. You know, I mean, he was he, yeah, he was good. Uh-huh. But talk about that relationship between an offensive coordinator and a, and a quarterback. It's you know what it's like. We're we're married men. I'm married. You're married. Our producer, NASA Chobi, is married. It's like when you just have one of those good days to where the kids are in the car on time. The lunches are made. We're on time getting to the pier. We get onto the Ferris wheel and no one's crying and everyone's ready to go. That's what a relationship feels like between an offense coordinator and his quarterback to whereas everything that happens is smooth. And if there's a hiccup, you get right back on track with effective communication and just belief in each other. So that's what I think is happening right now, and I'm excited to see it. So now I ask you, what do we need to see? No, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you ask me yet. Oh, no, I got to ask you. Okay. I, I, I want to stay right. on that one because how much of it is Shoddy calling a play and the options on that play for Russell to then say, okay, I have – these three, four options. So, you know, again, you can call a play and a quarterback, and oh, I've only got one or two options. But, okay, I'm so good now. I see it ahead of time. I know exactly what the defense is. So my first two reads are gone before I even snap the ball. I'm going last play of the game, or the third down and one and a half, right? They got 11 guys up in the box. Why did Russell decide to throw that one to Tyler Lockett, even though – I think it was the right decision. It was incomplete. Yeah. So how much of it is I've called the play, but, man, now Russell gets to see the whole field, and it's on Russell. Well, that last play I, I feel was just a check. Cover zero. You got a run play on. You check out. You throw your goes. There's I, no, was there, think, and there's no other option, right? No, there's no other option. You got, you got all your gaps accounted for. They're bringing more than you can block. There's no way you're going to get a runoff. So you got to go over the top. You have to go over the top. No okay. cover zero, no safety. You take your shot. So right. I, I get that. Um, I think that – Shoddy is calling plays that he knows Russell is comfortable with, right? You you run these 60 plays throughout the week, and a good coordinator, he ran that one well. 
He understands that one. You're getting your feedback in between these plays during practice. He likes that one. You're you're registering stuff that he doesn't even realize. He's listening to your your looking at your body language. How are you talking to him? You know what what's your language like through this whole through this whole play? There's a lot of plays where Shadi or Russell goes to Shadi and and Shadi's like, nah, that play is done. He's he's not comfortable with that play. He's not he's not seeing what I'm seeing. So he's calling plays that. He feels like I'm in Russell Wilson's shoes. I have the VR glasses on. I'm quarterback, and we're thinking the same thing. And I feel like no matter what happens, he's going to be able to counter whatever he sees. So the, the, the offensive coordinator can talk to the quarterback till 15 seconds before the snap. Yeah. How much do you think Shotty's really talking to him? Oh, you know, or, hey, here's the call. Don't forget, just boom, boom. If if he trusts him, it's five. Which you know he does. It's five to eight seconds. Hey, this, here's the play, boom, don't forget this, here's the key, go get it. it and, and Russell may be going, yeah, no kidding, I already know that. Yeah. yeah I'm, the, sure. I'm an offensive coordinator. <laughs> exactly. Now, this, this is fun. Uh, here's what I will say. I'll do a mini flex. Okay, flex. Mini Let's flex. Do it. In the last few years, I can use offensive. I, I I have a pretty good idea by formation down a distance where we are. I have a pretty good idea what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I do not know what they're doing right now. That's good. It is really good. As and you would, like, as I'm, you would ask Dory, is that good? Paul? It is good. That's good. And it's not like I, but you know, I I study the game and you study the game. I get a feel for it. And in the past, I go, eh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna run off tackle. They're gonna throw an out route here and hit. I really don't know. The third one, I, I, you, you kind of, I don't think there was an option. Literally, truly, they had eleven guys on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, you could not run the ball. You had to take your shot over, the, go over the top. They wanted them to take the shot. They had they, to. They, they forced them to take. They, the they shot. said, "Well, we're going to take our chance because we're going to lose anyways if we we don't." But in mixed downs, I I don't know. We're not getting to third down a lot, which means we're winning on mixed downs. And I, I just there's a I bring this up a lot. There's a book called Blink. You, you see it, uh, something, and you just, your instincts tells you what's going to go on. It, it happens a lot. It's not working for me with their offense. I'm looking around, I go, I don't know where the ball's going. So I think that's a good thing. No, that's a good thing. And I believe the two tight end sets really help disguise what they want to do because they will throw out of that two tight end set when that is a traditional heavy big boys we're going to run the football. So now I'm going to ask you again, Paul. Can I okay, ask you now? Okay, now you can ask me. I, I have one now. more I wanted to ask okay. you. Go ahead. All right. Now, what do we need to see for this team to take another step? Because there, there's another step that needs to be taken, I feel like. Well, it's not offensively. Um, I, well, if it was offensively, I was going to ask you, I go, I'm actually surprised Will Disley isn't more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he may with the drop from Olsen last week, the first throw to him. Do you think they're going to give up on Olsen one I don't, drop? I, no, I don't think it's not a, it was a drop. And, yeah, actually, you brought this up on the postgame show. It wasn't a drop. It was a defensive touchdown drop that went the other way and you said it i noticed he didn't get another target the yeah. rest of the game i don't think that's the reason i think he has confidence i'm just surprised because will disley's been so good in the passing game and he's been quiet so far this year maybe they're easing him in because of his injury you've got olsen as a veteran so i i see that uh evolving and I, I don't even know if we need Josh Gordon. I don't even know if we need Dorsett. I mean, I like Swain. I mean, he's, he's been impressive since camp. So offensively, I, I would like to see Disley get a little more involved. Um, now, defensively, man, we got we got a lot to improve on. Well, Quandre's looking better. I feel like Quandre struggled early 
in the game. He had a missed tackle against Julian Edelman, who's not a big guy. You should yeah. wrap him up and take him down. Um, he missed a pick six. He could have scored and even the game up. But um, bounced back, and I feel like he's slowly – I think we'll see the best of Quan, uh, of of Dunbar – Okay, so I was going Quandre oh, no, Diggs. No, no, no. Oh, I would no, go no, with Quentin no. Dunbar. I, okay, I will see the be- We will see the best of Dunbar week five and six, where I feel like his body has caught him to his mind because the mind, the mind is there. He recognizes route concepts. Oh, he's he's, he knows what he's supposed to do, but now it's getting his body to react. I want you to go watch his interception. So he, to me, he's got the smoothest back pedal. I've heard some people say, "Well, he's he's not confident. He normally presses and bumps." I go, "No, he doesn't." He plays off. He's comfortable from off. He's the best route reader from off in the NFL. That interception, go watch him. He flipped his hips open before his feet were on the ground. It's unbelievable. you got to watch it in slow motion. <laughs> it's crazy. All right. And now his hips are open. Once his feet hit the ground, he was, he was gone. He, I mean, he, he's, he could have, even if the ball was a little more outside, I think he still picks that. Unbelievable. He's getting his confidence. We get Diggs back now this week. We're we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. Quandre's flipping his hips in the air. He's doing the matrix, whatever it's you call it. Unbelievable. Matrix. There you go. Check it out. All right, coming up next, we go inside the film room. We're gonna break down three plays that we saw from the Patriots. That's coming up next. Paul Moyer, Michael Bumpus, Hawks Live. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from seven to nine, live on air on seven ten ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live with me, Michael Bumpus, and him, Paul Moyer. And now we're going into the film room. The very first play we're going to break down is Russell Wilson finding DK Metcalf for a 50-yard touchdown on the reigning defensive player of the year, Stephon Gilmore. Four-man rush by the Patriots. Russ, seven-step drop, is going to let it fly deep. Got a man out here. It's Metcalf. Reaches up, makes the catch. Touchdown, Seahawks. How in the world did he catch that? Had a man all over him, and he still reaches back. Catches the bomb for six. The Seahawks are a point away from tying it up again from 54 yards. An absolutely perfect rainbow to DK Metcalf. Now, Paul, I'm going to give you a little insight on this, this play right here. Hey, Michael, why don't you give me some insight? Okay, I got okay. you, Paul. I'm going to give right. you some insight. Give me some insight. So, I asked... DK Metcalf, is he comfortable playing in the slot? You know what he said? He said, I'm a receiver. So I, I said, I'm going to say less. I'm going to let you do your thing. This play right here, DK is working from the slot, and Gilmore is following him throughout the game. Now, they're manned up. Gilmore is locked in. In this Seattle offense, that slot typically or a lot, a lot of the times runs deep crosses, shallows. He's going across the field. He's going across the field. And that's exactly what DK sells right here. He goes, look, I'm going to run that deep cross that you're expecting right now, that that safety is even expecting. By the way, he so flips his talk hips. Talk about that. He, the, the safety is looking like it's going to be a deep, deep cross or a backside yep. flag. Yep. Oh, yeah, no, they sold it. Yeah, so Gilmore says, I've seen this before. He's running a deep cross. The safety goes, I've seen this before. He's running a deep cross. DK does a great job putting his foot in the ground selling it, even looks back to the quarterback and then whips his hips and gets on top, staying away from the safety. Now, on the bottom, great play design. I believe that's David Moore, maybe even Freddie Swain, runs a dig to occupy that corner to pull him 
downhill. So he has a one-on-one with the safety, backside safety, or the middle safety, going backside, expecting a post. He flips his hips, gets on top, and now he's just a big boy. Once he has a step on you, you're on his hip. You, you just have to pray that he drops his football, that you uh, just mess up his flow enough to where he drops the ball, which Gilmore's in good position. He's not in bad position, right? It's not even a great throw because DK has to slow down and kind of arms it, right? I mean, if he yeah. leaves it out there, I mean, he's he's definitely got Gilmore beat. But so I'm a, a great great description. I'm I'm going to ask you one of three things on this play, okay? Because when uh, it's it's good protection, it's a four man rush. Actually, Dwayne Brown kind of gets beat a little bit off a chip. I think he got off balance on it on it. Um, is it a better throw, a better catch, or a better design? I got to go with design. Yeah. I'm going to go with design because I feel like I'm always going to give the coordinator the benefit, benefit of the doubt. Like, look, this is what we expect when we get in this, in this situation, with this formation, on this area of the field. So I feel like Shadi was like, yep, this is what we're going to get. And then it just happens. Now the design is great. Granted, they, you get them in a one high, they're manned up. So what do you do? You show the cross. Safety's going to flip his hips. Backside, you run a dig. Get the corner out the way. Now, DK, you go and beat your guy. DK has to do some things to make this work. Yep. But I love oh, the he, design. He's strong. And, look, 80%, 90% of the time you're, you're running a, a, an offense or a defense that you've worked in camp and all the time. And then, then there's that 10 20% where you game plan somebody. Yeah. They came planned them, and I, I think this not only did this change the game, it changed the confidence. I mean, I think DK kind of knew, oh, I'm making a statement today mm-hmm. against the best guy. Yo, you want me? Yep. You sure? Be careful what you <laughs> wish for. Gave me a little goosebumps right there. Ooh, that, was, that was big. Yeah, that was good. All right, the next play, Quentin Dunbar steps in front of Demir Bird for the interception. Newton's going to throw far side, and it's picked off on the far side. Getting up, turning up field, Dunbar. But he was touched down by the receiver on the far side. They went one too many times on the quick out far side, and Dunbar was right there to pick it off. All right, Paul, you got you got me juiced up with this one off air. Uh, explain to me what, what you saw here. Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, you've got a, a, a tight formation. So you've got two two wide receivers, a slot look to our right, and, and a, I would call it a bunch look to our left. Um, so you've got... You know, everybody inside the numbers. You don't have anybody split out right. But I'm just going to talk about our right side where Dunbar is. There's just very few guys today that play off. He feels comfortable playing six, seven, eight, nine yards off. He likes a, a really smooth, slow backpedal. He's got such fluid hips. And that what I'm talking about here is, I'm just going to, I'm, you can't see it, but I highly recommend you go and, and watch this thing if you can. He is... He's about seven, eight yards from the wide receiver. Uh, not necessarily the line of scrimmage, but from the wide receiver. And he's just got a smooth back pedal. I mean, he just he takes maybe two or three yards in his back pedal. He reads the route. He's already sitting outside, so he already knows kind of what's coming, right? Just yeah. in his alignment. And once he puts his feet down, I tell you what, he is explosive. I mean, he, uh, the amount of ground he covers on this throw, it's incredible. Um, there's a lot of other things going on, but I really just, to me, this is a Dunbar play. This is what, if you go and watch him the last two years, this is why the Seahawks traded for him. And now that I think he's finally comfortable and, and trusting his instincts again and reading routes, I think we're going to see more of this. 
Yeah, I see a guy who recognizes what the receiver is trying to do. One, Dunbar has outside leverage, so anything breaking to the outside, he's going to be good to go. As soon as that receiver hits his one, two, his third step and starts rolling that thing, he knows what he's seeing, and he's jumping on it. He's such a veteran. He was a receiver who got converted to a corner, so he knows what he's looking at. And I see a guy who's really confident, and I see a guy, like I said earlier, to where we're not going to see his best until week five or six. You know, if you get a chance, you know, go go watch Griffin down below, too. And Griffin's not as deep. I mean, in fact, when he makes his break, he's at the 45-yard line, whereas Dunbar is sitting at the, around the 42, 43-yard line. But if you go watch Griffin, and Griffin's fantastic. He's a pro bowler. Yep. He has a waist of step. He, he reaches way back with his left foot, and he has to recover for that. And he might have intercepted if they threw it to, to their guy, too. The smoothness of Dunbar, God, there's a guy named Dave Brown. Uh, you know, matter of fact, we're here at Century Link. He's up here in the Ring of Honor. He's to my left. You know, God bless him. He, he passed away a, a while back, one of my dear friends. He was one of the best off guys as well. And I think, you know, he had 62, 63 interceptions in his career. So Is that is, – is, is No, like, not me. That's not even a flex. That's no, no, no. I know I was going to ask. Like, that's good, right? Uh, he should be in the <laughs> – he should be a Hall of Famer. I think it's – the most interceptions of anybody who's not in the Hall of Fame. All right, our last play, we got L.J. Collier stops Cam Newton on the one-yard line to win the ball game. Newton from the shotgun. Johnson, the fullback, wings on the left side. Newton's going to run the ball. He gets hit. He flipped up in the air. He doesn't get there. Clock ticks down. It's all zeros. What a play by the Seahawks defense. They throw their helmets. They are going nuts on the field. Cam Newton. The first time tonight, I believe they've stopped him dead in his tracks, and I believe it was Bobby Wagner who got there to do it. What an end to what a game. The Seahawks win 35-30 to over the Patriots. Wow. Now, Paul, I have a confession to make with this play. Okay. One, when they were in that situation, I thought the game was over. I'm thinking they're not, they're not going to stop Cam again. Cam wants one or two yards. He's going to be able to get that. My second confession is – I didn't notice what you pointed out earlier about Lano Hill. Yes, he sets the edge. He takes on the block. But he takes on the contact and then keeps crawling Crawling. and gets to Cam Newton. I think he needs a little more love than he got. No, you know, when I – look, I think if Cam saw this again, he would have tried to have bounced it outside, and he probably scores if he does. But because Lano is far enough upfield, that would be a tough bounce. And – you know, this is where it's the little things, right? The little things are making big plays. He could have stopped right there and taken on the the fullback right there who was, look, film study. It, I mean, if I, it's a big boy game. They got a, an extra tackle playing their left tight end right to us. They, they had motioned over a tight end who was in the backfield and played him kind of in a wing, but really on the line of scrimmage. So, uh, that tackle wasn't even eligible because I think he's covered. They had widened the fullback almost out to the tight end. So there, you know where it's going. This yeah. is rip, rip. Everybody's slant right. That's yep. Bobby Wagner. But if he just forced it back in and that's all he did, man, Collier's got to make one hell of a play. And he's got to bring down a six foot six, 260-pound, maybe the best athlete in the NFL. Tough play. I mean, all Cam has to do is lean forward, yeah. and he gets a touchdown, right? He covers a yard and a half just in his size. <laughs> yep. So he crawls. He 
and he, and because of that, it allows Collier and him. There's nowhere for Cam Newton to run at that point. Yeah, and they tumble him over. They chop a tree down. I mean, it just. Over the top. It's it's such a great play. I could talk about this play all day long. What Bobby Wagner did, uh, even KJ Wright. Uh, there's so many great guys who who did their job on this one. So many things went right when it mattered the most, and that's what championship teams do. You get your butt kicked. You lose this third down battle. You get beat up top by Edelman, who doesn't take the ball down the field often. But when it matters the most, your guy. Bobby Wagner sets everybody up and everyone executes. So you know, you know what's a great play was the play before this. What was that? It was Quentin Dunbar. He's got it was Edelman. He runs a, a crosser. Oh route. yes, yes. Look, it should have been a touchdown. If he doesn't make the tackle and bring him down hard, it, it maybe it is a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And again, so he stays with it. So to me, it was the way he tackled the guy rather than ride him, which would have ridden him into the end zone. There, there, there's so many great plays in this game. So many great plays. I hope we get more of this this weekend. All right, coming up next, we'll go around the NFL with myself, Michael Bumpus. He is Paul Moyer. This is Hawks Live. Tune in. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live. Michael Bumpus, Paul Moyer, and Asichobi over there doing his thing. He's producing this. Every Thursday, 7 o'clock, CenturyLink, we'll be here. And now we get to go around the NFL. Now, we talk about the Hawks because that's what we do. But now we're going around the NFL. You hear the music? You did the Raiders, man. Yeah, this yeah, kind of, this, this reminds you of the Raiders? It does. It does. The and Raiders. I know it's NFL, Boomer, we'll but, yeah. I love both, it. You and I are both Raiders fans. So, we're going across the NFL. Now, I'm going to talk about Drew Brees. He doesn't look like the same Drew Brees. He's throwing a bunch of check downs. What do you – does this team have a chance to really get another Super Bowl? Because they were the favorites in the N- NFC prior to the season start. I, I think their defense is good enough. They, my goodness, they've got skilled players all over the board. Tough matchups. Yes, but here's what I was saying. Look, Drew Brees has been dinking and dunking for the last three years. Yeah. And if you if you have the team that can take that dink dunk away and be confident not getting beat over the top, you'll shut New Orleans down. They're still a tough matchup. It, to me, it's all about matchups. And when they get to the playoffs, if they're they're matched up with the right team. Now, all right, Cam Newton. A lot wow. of teams passed on this man. They didn't think he, he could get it done. We, I don't know if it did, that they didn't think he could get it done. I think it had more to do with injury. He okay. had a shoulder injury. Yeah. Look, he. You look in last year. I mean, he couldn't throw the football. Yeah. So now you're going. All right. What What am I willing to do for him? Brilliant move. You're going to go to a guy, a coach, offensive coordinator. Said we're going to take. What you do and do it the best, and we're also going to get you to get back into your old form. Uh, look, he looked good. He looked not only does he look good running and making good decisions. Um, look, it's the highest completion percentage he's ever had over the last two games. Yep. So sometimes it's the right system. You know, at some point, you know, they're going to have to go, and he's going to have to go do it. And yep. but I, I think he's back if he stays healthy. Paul Moyer. Josh Allen is the leading passer in the NFL. Yeah, I know he's. Not. You buying it? Are you nah. selling it? What are you doing? Are you buying it? Well, we're going to play him this year, and they got a good defense. Yep. So, you know, when I looked at the schedule earlier, I said, you know, the best quarterback we're going to play is probably Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Dak Prescott this week. You know, maybe it's going to be Kyle Murray now that he's really starting to evolve. Um, no, I'm not completely bought on that, but I, I'm going to be. I haven't studied it that hard. I know they got a good defense. And we'll worry about them when we get to them. 
you know who we have to worry about is Kyler Murray and yeah. the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, they're a problem. That, that's a good football team. You got Drake back there running the rock. You got Kyler who's running the rock as well. I believe he's top 15 rushing in the NFL right now. You got DeAndre Hopkins. Ugh. I mean, when when we get to those guys, they're going to be a problem. It, it'll, it could be a shootout. Um, I think we actually match up pretty well with them. I don't know why. It's just, you know, sometimes it's it's perception. Where the Cowboys, they always go, God, we don't match up well with them because they're so balanced. I, I think there's things we could take away from Arizona. And to me, their defense hasn't proven anything yet. You know, maybe that's a, a 42-35 game. 42-35. I'll take it. All right. Ben Roethlisberger, he's yeah. back after the elbow surgery. Yeah. I, I've watched him play. It doesn't look like he's favoring it. It looks like he's following through with all of his throws. Should the league be taking the Steelers seriously at this point? Well, I think they are. If you look at a lot of the power rankings, they're way up there. I'm, you know, again, with him, you know, I just he's that kind of guy I go, he's really he's like Cam Newton, really mm-hmm. hard to get on the ground, right? I mean, they're they're a different type of player, so you got a game plan for them. But he's a guy that just makes a mistake at the weirdest time. You know, he has a great game for 98% of the time, but those 2% but their defense is an issue. I mean, yeah. for for teams. I mean, they they get after the quarterback. Uh, they're pretty talented. Look, if we play them in the Super Bowl, I'm happy. <laughs> now, Russell Wilson has been the talk of the league. I feel like at least he's one of the talks of the league. But slowly but surely, quietly, Aaron Rodgers is making his own case to be like, look, don't forget about me. No, I'm still I, doing my thing. I I hope Aaron Rodgers wins the MVP. What? I, yep. And I hope Russell Wilson gets a couple of votes. Why? Explain this to me. Because there has not been an MVP who's won the Super Bowl this this century. Okay? And that that quickly you convinced me to uh, go with what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. So So give him some votes. 2000, no no MVP has won the Super Bowl. Let's give him a couple votes. But I want the Super Bowl. (laughs) I really do, and I think Russell Wilson can win us the Super Bowl. So, Aaron, go air it out. You have more touchdowns, more yards. Get two more votes than Russell. We'll go and take the Lombardi Trophy. You can have the MVP. Call again. Okay, yeah. so now I'm going to talk to a safety. Oh, yeah. About a safety's mm. play. Now, Diggs got kicked out of the game. Hurts me. Um, for making just trying to make a play on the football. Playing football. Overall thoughts on that whole situation. Well, first of all, I hate the rule. You want to do that in high school, have at it. You want to do it in college? Eh, okay, so be it. The NFL, these guys are playing football. Yeah. I go, you, so here's my issue. And you guys have heard me talk about this a bunch. That is such a bang-bang play. Yep. There's no, to me, there's no question in my mind. The only way that we can stop these dangerous throws, you have got to start finding the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. That you was find a, them. Find them. For making a F-I-N-E. difficult throw, Dog, who's going to get so? So what you're who's saying getting is fine this week. So, but Diggs is getting Diggs fined. is getting fined. Got kicked out of the game. Almost cost us the game because he's that important to the Seahawks. That's a slant route. You're going to throw it there. How about how about that high? How about you find both? For I'm okay with throw. that. You're good with both. So so you were a huge Raider fan, right? You hated probably the Steelers like I did yep. growing up. Terry Bradshaw, as much as, you know, guys, go look at his statistics. I never forget, he talked about, he goes, my job is to protect the receiver. So when they run an in route and I see a safety, I throw it down to the ground where only he can get it and protect him. They don't protect any receivers anymore. 
they throw it high. Matter of fact, I think they actually want you to get your head knocked off. Moyer. So you can get a penalty. Receivers are untouchable. You cannot touch us. You right. Must, you must hug us and right. bring us down to the ground no, softly. I, look, I bring a pillow and a blankie <laughs> and a, maybe a little fuffa, which we call the pacifier for our kids. I bring all three of those to us. And I say, here you go, Michael. But I, I, seriously, they, they want to take away the head helmet. The offense at some point has to help in that. You can't just put the owners. I don't know. I don't. I don't guy. know, Paul. I, I don't know. Why not? There, I. I'm gonna mini flex again. Many. I, I played in the uh, East West Shrine game. Okay. Uh, my senior year, we weren't allowed to do certain play. We weren't allowed to blitz. Um, the offense weren't allowed to do certain play. In but, an all star game. In an all star. Naturally. Game. So all I'm saying is, if you throw that play and you and you and that hill, that you threw the football. You are the reason for that intersect point, that dangerous throw. And Diggs is just trying to he's just trying to make a play. To me, there's two it's like in a marriage. It takes two people to fight. You can't just fight with yourself. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not even convincing here's, myself. Here's my But here, the quarterback should start being fined. Here's my argument to that. Okay, it's like the NBA. You think you have position on a guy, but if your feet are moving they're going to call the Stop. charge on you. No. They're going to call the charge. If your feet That's are moving, the you they're going to go- call you. So it's up to the defense to make the safe tackle. Now, I'm not saying that it's not tough. It's tough. I I played safety varsity football on Friday nights. I didn't hey, I didn't do it I in the I didn't do it in that. the 80s. I didn't have six picks in a season. <laughs> you know, I didn't do that. But, you know, I kind of understand what's going on and it's tough on a defense. I, I, I can meet in the middle you with you and Diggs say. you should have been kicked out of the game? No. Do you no. hate the rule? No, no, no. I hate the rule. No. I, I think that he should. there should be a penalty. He should be fined. But Why not should kick, he be fined? But not no. kicked out the game. Do you, not kicked so, out the game. So here's where, here's where I'm going with this, and th- this could be a long time. I think there should be a penalty because I get that you've got to change behavior. A fine to me should be there is intent. There's no intent there. There. I don't know how he could have got out of the way, you guys. Intent is interpretation. That's why he got thrown out the game. No, th- no, that wasn't the intent. It was the rule of the law. The rule of the law was if you go helmet to helmet on what they call a defenseless receiver, whatever that means, then you're you're kicked out of the game. There's a penalty. Intent means we see you know what intent is. A guy comes in with an elbow. He's got his head down and and he takes one extra step. No, I'm I'm saying that if. The referees perceive that play as if he's not trying to make the play, as he's he's not. Because there's helmet to helmet every single tackle in the NFL. There's I'm helmet okay, to helmet. I'm okay with the penalty because they're trying to change behavior. But what I what I don't like is not only did he get kicked out of the game, he's going to get fined, and there's no intent from that. He didn't mean to do that. Intent not to you and I. No. But to New York and no, to no. these guys, that, so there might be some intent. That's the law, right? So, again, uh, a guy walks across the street, you hit him, okay, that you're going to get a fine, you maybe get thrown in jail. Did you mean to hit the guy? <laughs> no. But the guy was jaywalking and may have oh. deserved to be hit. Oh, man. That throw is like a jaywalker, <laughs> okay? Hey. Do not throw NASA, the ball. Do, do, hey, do I get anything? Hey, if you're in downtown Seattle, you better not throw the ball across the busy intersection. I think NASA's on my side on this one. No, Paul, I got you. Yes. You know what? 
We should find them. If you walk across the street, watch out. All watch right? out. Exactly. If Moyer's driving, head on the swivel because he's got the Telson no, automatic no drive. Fine. And he's going. No, no drive. No fine. Just a penalty. All right. Coming up next, we'll give you our final thoughts. This has been great. Michael Bowman's Paul Moyer, Nasty Chobie, Hawks Live. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Michael Bumpus, Paul Moyer, Nassar Choby. This is Hawks Live on 710. This song right here, Paul's All Eyes on Me by Tupac. Wait, wait, wait. You looked at me and said that like you didn't know. No, I knew. Like I didn't know. I know I, Look, did. I'm still talking about digs and the headhunting <laughs> thing, and NASA's on my side, and we're, we're good. What do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm on your side, kind of, about that. Real, real quick. Do I, do I ever get a choice in a song or music? <laughs> I mean, typically no, but uh, if you want to put in a request during the Look, break, I got uh, some Jay Z stuff I'd like to throw out there. So, you know, Let's but, go. All right, so but you know, we we beat that one to death. We did, and we're going to come back to that at some point before the year. So, oh yeah, because I'm just getting started. Most definitely, yeah. All right, so final thoughts. Yeah, what does this team need to do to start off the season three and zero? In my opinion, can I? I'll get my first. My opinion is they need to. Limit Dak Prescott's performance. Ezekiel is going to do what he's going to do. He has a decent offensive line in front of him. I believe if you hold him around 80 to 100 yards, one touchdown, you're good to go. Dak Prescott is the person you need to worry about because he has CeeDee Lamb. He's got Amari Cooper. He's got Michael Gallup and even Schultz, who scored the only receiving touchdown last week against the Atlanta Falcons. The second half, Dak Prescott accounted for four touchdowns. He's the first NFL quarterback to throw for 450 yards and rush for three touchdowns. He's playing at a high level. He needs a little bit more attention. I don't think he gets enough attention. Just like Russell doesn't, I don't think Dak gets enough love. Dak's going to have to play really well because we have this guy named Russell Wilson who's playing at a historic level. I mean, nine touchdowns in, in two games is crazy. It, I think it's going to be a shootout. You know, I think both defenses are struggling. Uh, you know, the Seahawks have also played two, I think, very good, well-coached offenses, uh, two very good quarterbacks, their third one. It, it may not get much better this week. Um, you're going to play the most balanced team you've played all year in the Cowboys. They can run it. They can throw it. You know, what, what what do they need to do better? I, I think one is um, make sure they make the plays when it's there. So mm-hmm. you know, Pete Carroll talked about the, the pass rush. You know, they had a chance to get four or five sacks. Jamal Adams had Cam Newton dead to right. He, he'll get Dak if that's the case this time. But Cam's, I think he's the toughest guy to sack because he's yep. just so big and athletic. Um, I, I think it's going to be a tough game. You know, I've, I've kind of, if you've, no, uh, noticed I've pick, uh, predicted double-digit victories the last two games, yep. and I'm 2-0 and uh, in our <laughs> predictions. Low-key. I will not be predicting that this week. No. Uh, the tough match. Dax always had a good game. Uh, Elliott's had a good game. The, it's a tough matchup for us, so Russell's going to have to go off. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think, I think Russell has to go off, and I think the defense has to limit the big plays. Now, the Dallas Cowboys have 41 plays this year that result in 10 or more yards, into, at least NFL. So when it comes to explosive plays, these guys have it. So if they're averaging 41, what's the math? You divide that by two, 20-something 20 20 a, a game. All right, 15 explosive plays a game, 10-plus yards. I think the Hawks have a chance. 
Yeah, I think look, I think we we got to get him to third down and win. I, I, I my big thing is always get him to third down a lot. Win the mixed downs. You know, you can have somebody who goes ten for twenty on third down. And they go, why you gave up fifty percent? Yeah, but I also got off ten times. So you win on mixed down. So you go, they get to third down after two plays. They go, they win. They get to third down in two plays. They win. They get to ten, third down in two plays. You're off the field. I don't care. So we got to win on third down and get them there often. And I think we will. That's one thing we've done a lot, and I think that's why we've won games. This is going to be a tough football game. They have so many weapons, but so do we. Yeah, I think this is going to be the toughest game. I know New England came down to the last play, but there was a moment in the game to where you felt that uh, – the Hawks had it under control. Dude, this is going to be the toughest game to play Arizona, the Rams, 49ers. <laughs> Our division's tough. All right. Hey, well, that is Hawks Live. Thank you guys for joining. I'm Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer. Nash and Choby doing the same. We got Matt back at Bonneville holding it down. Thank you to Cody Barton and John Clayton for joining us today. Have a great one. We'll see you next Thursday. Go Hawks. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Download the 710 Sports app to get breaking news notifications on the Hawks and read the latest analysis on the Hawks at 710sports.com. 